0: Wow! What uh, great worship today! I'm so grateful to God for the privilege to be able to do what we did this morning. And Tony, I love you. I respect you so much, and so grateful to have you with us today. It is our privilege uh, to have your presence here and uh, to be able to be a part of the ministry that you're leading so well. And uh, thank you. All right? Great. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, and you know, John was right. Uh, and by the way, I really commend John for leading us and getting that ultrasound and making that happen. And and uh, you know, John was right. You're right next door to us now. And so, this is an opportunity for you to serve God if you're looking for a place. Uh, and maybe if you're even if you're not looking, maybe to start looking. Uh, and because, boy, what a what an awesome opportunity to make a huge difference in people's lives. So I've got a question for you. Have, have you ever been in a, uh, a situation where you're faced with someone uh, where they're openly uh, disregarding the moral truth of God's Word? Have you ever been in that kind of a situation? They're, they're doing wrong. They, they know they're doing wrong. And either they don't care, and it's, it's, <clears throat> excuse me, it's, it's as if they're, 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 they're challenging you to correct them. Or they do care. They're ashamed of what they're doing, and, and yet they're not dealing with it. I, I'm, I bet I'm, I bet you have, right? Uh, it's almost a rhetorical question, in a sense. You know, we just, I think it's something we deal with all the time. And, and it might be that you're faced with it right now, and, and you're not quite sure what to do, how to handle it, what to say, what not to say. And, and if that's true, if that's where you're at, today's passage is written for you because Jesus shows us exactly what to do. And I, I'd even say, if you're not there today, what we're gonna talk about this morning is something that you're ultimately gonna, you're gonna deal with eventually, so I, I would say like put it in your file and, and keep it for future use, okay? So, uh, you know, uh, uh, really listen up to what we're, what we're talking about. And it, or it might be that you're the person that's doing wrong. And, uh, and you know it and either it's bothering you big time but you don't know what to do with it. I mean it's like it's 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 overwhelming you, it's confusing you, it's it's just pushed you way down or it's not bothering you in the least. And it is as if you are poised for someone to try to correct you in what in what you're doing. You're, you know, it's like you're ready. You're you're ready for that. Either way, either way, I'm convinced that today's passage is written for you. And I know it because it speaks the truth. Nothing about it circles around the truth, but it, but it does it it, it does it with this remarkable grace and compassion. That's one of the reasons I just, I, I, I love it so much and really it's not surprising because it's all centered on Jesus Christ. I mean, he's the main character and, uh, and I, if you know Jesus Christ, you know he's the most grace-filled Compassionate person who's ever lived on this earth, and so uh, I, we're going to read the passage. And um, whether you're reading on your, you know, your your phone or your iPad or or this way, whatever, or or on PowerPoint, uh, it's John's Gospel, chapter eight, and we're actually going to begin with the last verse of of chapter seven, uh, verse fifty-three, and then I'm going to read down through verse eleven. So, verse fifty-three begins with this. Then they each went to their own home. The they, uh, the each, each went to his own home. That's the religious leaders. And if you read that, uh, all of chapter 7, you, you, you'll find out that they, there was this big debate among themselves, what are we going to do with Jesus Christ? Because he was just driving them absolutely crazy. And, and, then, and then we begin in verse 1, we read this. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now, don dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees, so they'd been doing their talking, you know, what are we going to do with him? And then they came up with a plan. So the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. And they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any, of, any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time The older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. And Jesus straightened up and he asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. What we've uh, just read is an example an illustration of something the Old Testament prophet Isaiah predicted about Israel's Messiah, who we now know and believe is Jesus Christ. And he he wrote this in Isaiah chapter 42 in the first four verses. And, and, And God the Father is speaking of his son, and he said, Here's my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to all the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he leads justice to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. Now, the key statement for us today in all of this, wonderful passage, but the key statement is this statement. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick, he will not snuff out. If you've ever read that before, have you ever said to yourself, like, what's that all about? I mean, what is that anyway? What are they talking about? This means that Jesus Christ, and I love this, it means that Jesus Christ combines compassion and justice so perfectly that the world has never seen anything like it. He's, he's the most balanced, the, wise, the, the, the most wise human being we've ever seen, who's ever lived on this planet. He's not just compromised, halfway between strong and tender, but rather he's just and righteous to the nth degree, and he's compassionate and gentle to the nth degree. These these two traits don't fight in him, they unite in him. And so, God was right, speaking through Isaiah, a bruised reed, he will not break, a smoldering wick, he will not snuff out. Here's a person, Jesus Christ, of absolute power and majesty. He will bring forth justice to victory. Just like Isaiah said, he will conquer over evil. But in the meantime, he is is so compassionate and tender that a bruised heart, a broken heart, a flickering soul, ready to go out in his hands will not be harmed. It will be healed. All of which becomes very clear by the way he treats this woman. He, he deals gently with her, which, which teaches us that, that Jesus Christ will deal gently with each one of us, and that each one of us should deal gently with one another, with every person that God brings into your lives. So if you're taking notes, which I hope you are, this is something, this is something you're going to want to write down, all right? Compassion means gentleness, Compassion means gentleness. They're they're like one and the same. To be compassionate means that you are gentle in your relationship with other people, how you treat them, what you say to them, and how you say it. Now, let's look at what this passage teaches. First of all, let's let's take a look at the problem that it presents. Here's this woman caught in the act of adultery, and, and, and according to Jewish law, the Old Testament law she could not be charged unless two eyewitnesses actually saw her in the act with a man. Now, we're not, we're not, we're not talking about her coming out of a room, we're not, not, we're not talking about her being in a compromising position, not, not even lying on a bed with somebody, but actually engaged in sexual intimacy in the act itself. And Jesus is not being asked whether she's guilty, that, that's already been proven, He's being asked about the penalty. These men come to him with this woman, and they point to Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10, and Deuteronomy twenty-two, twenty-two. They They point out that the Mosaic law says that what this woman has done is punishable by execution. She should be put to death. She should be stoned. Now, they're not doing this. Don't misunderstand these guys, and John's absolutely right in what he said. They're not doing this because they're so concerned about what's just and what's right. They're doing it to trap Jesus. And they thought they had him. They they thought they had the perfect trap. They they think that he's stuck between two issues. On on the one hand, the life of the woman. And on the other hand, the divine law of Moses. They, They knew Jesus. They knew that he was the consummate teacher about compassion and grace and forgiveness and tenderness. They knew that he said his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, is entered by, by grace and forgiveness. But on the other hand, they knew that he said in the Sermon on the Mount that, that the law of Moses was from God and the exact statement he made is not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen would by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. And so they think they've got him. <laughs> They're saying to themselves, if he says, stone her, because that's what the law of Moses says should be done, then we'll say, Ha, here's your Messiah. He says, Come to me and I'll give you rest. Sure, come to him and, 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 and for your sin and heal you. He's going to execute you. Some Messiah that is. But if he says, No, she has to be forgiven. We can't punish her. (laughs) Then we can say, Oh, wow, he he says he's from God. That can't be true because now he's contradicting the word of God. See, they thought they had him. With their devilish ingenuity, they came with with a problem that they were sure that Jesus Christ could not solve. And I would say... I would say, a problem that is as relevant to our lives today as it was back then. How to be compassionate and not relativize morality, while at the same time, how to have absolute morality and not crush people. They thought they had them, but they thought wrong, right? They thought wrong. Because this wasn't simply an imperfect man that they were dealing with. This was God himself. And, and so what does Jesus Christ do? What he does is very remarkable, everybody. I just, it, it just amazes me. I mean, he always impresses me. He does two things. And you could even say that, in a sense, they're, they're a summary of his whole ministry. He, he first of all, disturbs the comfortable, he deals with them first, and then he turns around and he comforts the disturbed. So, let's look at this. He, he, he disturbs the comfortable this way, and I absolutely, absolutely love this. I had so much fun with thinking about this. At first, did you notice that? He doesn't even answer their question. It's as, it's as if he totally ignores them. He He bends down, and he begins writing with his finger in the dirt. I mean, I love that. They're they're waiting to hear what he has to say. Everybody's waiting, and he says absolutely nothing. Instead, he ignores their question. He bends down, and he starts writing in in the dirt. Do do you know what he was writing? Do you want to know what he was writing? You want me to tell you? I have no idea, okay? Okay no idea nobody knows okay if somebody tells you they know they don't know they don't know nobody knows the the, the best one i've ever heard the best theory and, and i wish it were true okay is that what he was writing was the sins of of this woman's accusers so that so that they would know he now knows everything about them but but they that i would love that but that can't be what he was doing because then because they kept on pushing him to answer their question. All right? Now, I, I had a I had a, I had an idea. I had my own idea. I'm always working on sermons, okay? So I was working out. You some of you know I work out with this guy named Kyle, and so we're talking about the sermon Sunday, and, and all of a sudden it just came to me, it was like this brilliant insight that I that I, I think I got the answer to what he was doing, everybody. You know what I was thinking? You know what I think he was doing? I think he was riding in the dirt to hide the smile on his face. All right? I think, I think he was having a hard time to keep from laughing at their attempt to, to trap him. Honestly, I think that's the best one I've ever heard, so pat me on the back, all right? All right, you know? So whatever it was, everybody, he eventually does answer their question. And what he said to them, I think, is absolutely ingenious. He stands up, he looks them in the eye, and he said to them, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at this woman. That's all he said. And then he bends down and keeps on writing in the dirt. I mean, is that cool or what? I mean, he never actually said that the stone shouldn't be thrown. He never denies that, that there needs to be a punishment. He said nothing about capital punishment one way or the other. He doesn't defend it, and he doesn't attack it. Instead, what he did is reveal these men for who they really were. A group of men totally disqualified from being witnesses or executioners. And he was right, and they knew he was right, and that's why they all disappeared as fast as they could. They just, they just got out of there, all right? And most of it had to do with how this woman was caught in adultery. Anybody happen to notice who was absent in this scene? The Old Testament law is if two people get caught in adultery, one person can't do adultery by themselves, by the way. I don't know if you knew that or not. There, there's always two people involved. So where's the man? Where's the man? They only bring the woman to Jesus. Which biblical scholars say, good biblical scholars say, proves that this woman was set up. It was a setup. It's very possible that the man involved in the sexual act engineered the whole deal when it was going to happen, where it was going to happen, and who was going to witness it. So what does Jesus do? Jesus turns to these men and he says to them, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. What's he saying? What is he really saying? He's not saying what a lot of people have thought, that only a sinless person could could ever punish somebody. I mean, that's absolutely ridiculous. There's nobody who's sinless. He's not saying that. But instead, what he's saying is this. I know you. I know you, man. And the very law of Moses that you say you're invoking here today, you're breaking. He's saying your hypocrisy is a stench in the nostrils of God. You invoke the law of Moses. What about the law of Moses against conspiracy? What about the law of Moses against partiality of, you know, uh, 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 being partial to a man over, over a woman? He's saying, he said, I don't deny the law of Moses, but by the law of Moses, I deny that you're qualified to be witnesses or executioners. That's an ingenious stroke. It's an absolute stroke of of wisdom. He's got them, and he knows he's got them. He nailed them to the wall, and they they exit out of there as quickly as they possibly can. Now, I'm going to be as straight with you this morning as Jesus was with these men. If you're here today, and you're doing wrong, and you know it's wrong, As much as these religious leaders knew that what they were doing was wrong, and if you're trying to circle around God like they were trying to circle around Jesus Christ, whatever it might be that you're doing, it could be an affair, it could be pornography, it could be abusing alcohol or drugs, It could be deceiving your employer, disobeying your parents, cheating on your taxes, verbally abusing your wife or your children or or your husband, or it could be sexually abusing your son or daughter. It could be lying. It could be gossip. It could be envy. It could be greed. It could be an unwillingness to forgive another person. Whatever it might be that you're doing, that you know is wrong, You need to know that God knows exactly what's going on. And there's absolutely no way you're going to get by with it. And if there are not consequences during your lifetime on this earth, you need to know that there will be consequences when you stand before God. And friend, myself, me saying this to you this morning is really the most compassionate and it is the most loving thing that I could say to you today. Because it's the truth. The truth. So, when they're all gone, (laughs) they're all gone, everybody's gone, Jesus turns around and comforts the disturbed. (laughs) He turns to this woman, and I love what he said to her. Again, John chapter 8, verse 10 and 11. He said, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. And neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Wow. He turns her and he says, neither do I condemn you. Go now, leave your life of sin. You know what we have here? We We have the perfect kind of balance. First of all, he said, neither do I condemn you. How could he say that? Doesn't he know what the law says? Look carefully, everybody. Jesus doesn't say, you're not guilty. Because when he said, go and sin no more, he was saying you are guilty. This is what he says, everybody. Do not miss this. Don't miss this. Because we're getting, to the, we're getting to the center of Christianity. We're getting to the crux of the matter, to the, to the paradox, the beauty, the genius of it all. Another reason for the title that we've given for this series and, and, and why we have it with a cross. You know, I don't know if you realize it or not, but crux is Latin for cross. Cross. He said, you're guilty, but I don't condemn you. How could he say that? He could say it because of the cross, the the cross on which he would die for for her sin. He's saying what Paul said in the first chapter of uh, of my favorite chapter in the Bible, Romans chapter eight, where he said, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. It's because of what Jesus Christ did that God can justify can take away condemnation from the ungodly, including this woman, and including you, and including me. As Paul wrote in, in, in his second letter to the Corinthians, and he said this: God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Isn't that wonderful. Do you understand that Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, took your condemnation. The moment you believe in him and and trust in him as your Savior, your punishment is gone forever. You're guilty, but you're not condemned. You deserve God's judgment. You deserve all the condemnation. But it's all gone when you trust in Jesus Christ. So think about it. Jesus said to this woman, neither do I condemn you. Imagine, imagine what he was feeling because he knew what it would cost him to say what he said to this woman. He said to her, I don't condemn you because I'll be condemned for you. (laughs) Yes, stones ought to be thrown, but they're going to be thrown at me. Spears ought to be launched, but a spear will be put into my side. But see the balance, the perfect balance. Because on the other hand, he said to her, go and sin no more. He knocked down her accusers because of their entrapment. But notice here that Jesus will have absolutely nothing to do with a victim mentality, nothing, nothing of the blame shape, shifting, nothing at all. Their entrapment meant that they no longer had a case against this woman. But Jesus knows, and the Bible says, that you can't be trapped unless unless your own wrong desires and the motives of your heart trap you. (laughs) Exactly what James, the brother of Jesus, said in the first chapter of his letter when he, he wrote this. He said, When tempted, no one should say, God's tempting me, for God cannot be tempted nor does he tempt anyone. And then this statement: But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. And then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin when it's full birth, full, full grown, gives birth to death. Jesus said to this woman, I don't condemn you but you are sinning so sin no more. Leave your life of sin. Put it behind her. And what he said to her, he says to you and he says to me. He says, I don't condemn you but be honest about the sin in your life. Turn away from that sin. Don't excuse it. Leave it behind. Now, what are the implications of all of this i mean how how should we apply it? How should we affect how we live? I've got three applications number one, and you want to write these down okay i mean this is this this is keeper kind of stuff, okay number one, if you're a bruised person, you need to go to Jesus and what what that means is have you have you brought some trouble on yourself because of decisions you've made, because of sin in your life? You know? And it's got, got you beaten down. You've got to go to Jesus. He, he, you see, he's waiting for you. He's waiting for you. Like the father waiting for the prodigal son. And, and what does it mean to go to Jesus? Well, the answer is in today's scripture. What it means is you... You, you look at Jesus Christ broken and bleeding on, on a cross, and, and it means that there's no condemnation. There's only forgiveness in Jesus. Only forgiveness. So if you're here today and, and you're saying to yourself, well, Steve, you don't, you don't know me. I'm, I, I'm too bruised and I'm too broken. My, my, my life is too much of a wreck. I, I can't go to him. You, you, Steve, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what my life has been. And I can say to you this morning, you can go to him because there's forgiveness and more than enough to spare. Or if you're thinking to yourself, well, Steve, I've just got too many problems in my my life. And and I can say to you, with Jesus Christ, there's power and more than enough to spare. And if you're saying, well, Steve, I'm so confused. I mean, I've been in this tunnel for so long, I just don't even know how how I can even get out of it. And then I can come back to you and I can say, you know what? With Jesus Christ, there's wisdom, more than enough to spare you might even be saying, yeah, but Steve, I like my life. I like my sin. I don't think I want to give it up. And, and I, I can come back to you and I can say to you, oh, you know what? With Jesus Christ, there's more joy and there's more fulfillment than any, any sin, anything that you've made up for yourself could ever possibly give you. There's more of that and, and, and more, enough, more than enough to spare. Oh. So come to Jesus. No, come to Jesus. And you know what else, everybody? For every, every bruised person in your life, every bruised person that God brings into your life, you know, what, you know what we can do for that person? We can take their hand and we can lead them to who? To Jesus. Yeah. Second application. Whenever Jesus Christ gives you a word of grace, it always includes a challenge to obedience and growth, spiritual growth. He, he, he doesn't say, neither do I condemn you, and that's it. You see, if you, if, isn't it true? If you love somebody, you can't stand to see them destroy themselves. True compassion is intercepting self-destructive behavior, real grace, real love, real compassion says, I've got to get into this person's life and stop them from destroying themselves. Last Sunday, I had, I had Ryan Sink up here with me, and Ryan was adopted as a, a month-year-old child. But, but just imagine yourself adopting a, a child that's maybe a teenager or or, or, or slightly younger that, than that and they come from a really hard background and, and their life is a mess and, and, and you provide a home for them and clothing and, and, and food and education and, and shelter and everything that they need, you know, do, do you say to that child, do you say to them, you know what, uh, you can just keep on living the way you always lived. You can do things that are wrong. You, you don't have to go to school if you don't want to go to school. You can, you, know, you, can just, you can just mess your life up as much as you want. I don't really care. Would you ever say that? No. Man, if you, if you love that child that you've adopted, then you, in, in this sense, you hold their feet to the fire until they become all they're meant to be. You know? And that's true for every person that God brings into our lives to show his compassion and his love. You're you're not loving them if you allow them to shift the blame, to to live with a victim mentality, not correct what needs to change in their life. In the grace of God, in the compassion of God, you speak truth into their lives. And this should be true for ourselves. Loving yourself, being compassionate, Passionate toward yourself means speaking truth into your own life. It's loving yourself too much to destroy yourself. It's it's loving all the other people in your life too much to destroy yourself. (laughs) Application number three. I would suggest that some of you cannot change bad behavior in your life because you're not taking it to the cross. Take your sinful behavior to the cross and you'll find the strength and the motivation and the inspiration that you need to change. Notice, Jesus did not say, go, go away, sin no more, and then I won't condemn you. He said, I don't condemn you. That's what he said first, and then he said, go and sin no more. Huge difference. All the difference in the world. You grab onto the truth of God's love for you In the cross of Jesus Christ, you grab onto that. You let it get inside of you. And you know what? Your whole motivation, your whole reason for living changes. You you fall in love with Jesus Christ, and you want to obey him, and you want to serve him, and you want to be everything he created you and redeemed you to be. just changes everything. Oh, I'm so grateful. I just, I, aren't you? I mean, aren't you just, aren't you? I, I just love him so much. Let's, let's stand and in, in, in worship, and, uh, and, and that they're going to come out, and I'm going to pray, and, and um, let's, let's do that, okay? Let's, let's pray. Father, I, I, I don't want to leave here today without praying for that person who, or, or m- m- more than one person, may have come into this place today and, and God, this like, you know, in a wonderful, compassionate your way, Lord, you touch their heart with your truth and you help them understand that you're not against them, you're for them. Oh God, I pray that, that your Holy Spirit would just keep on working and and, and touching them and drawing them to yourself. And, and even this, this morning, Father, as we sing this last song, I pray that, that they would just look up to you, you know, and just say, God, I need you. I need your grace. I need your compassion. God, I'm a sinner, and I, I want to be done with that sin. I want Jesus to be my Savior. God, I pray they'll pray that prayer. And for all of us, God, oh, may your Holy Spirit just Just rip into us, you know, and and, and just give us this this overwhelming compassion and grace toward people to love them, God, in the way Jesus Christ loves this woman and loves each one of us. For your glory. Amen. Let's worship together, all right?